Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group. With a new year ahead, a new set of priorities for state CIOs. Modernizing an ERP means modernizing a state. Making sure that dangerous tanks are compliant through a digital portal. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. As 2023 nears, the National Association of State Chief Information Officers is revitalizing its top priority list. Cybersecurity remains the top priority for the 10th year in a row, while workforce crept up the list to the third-ranked spot. NASIO's Executive Director Doug Robinson tells StateScoop's Benjamin Freed about the new list and what he expects for state CIOs in the year ahead. Yes, I I was uh, certainly, like everyone else, not surprised to see cybersecurity in the number one position. Uh, And, you know, that's, uh, you know, I think almost by default now because it's something that, as we we say, we use that, you know, phrase, CIOs ignore cybersecurity at their peril, which we know is is important. Uh, I was, uh, I guess, glad to see... Because with all those conversations we've been having about workforce and talent management, mm-hmm. uh, I was glad to see that that you know moved up into a strong number three position. The first five or six have a, a, a reasonable spread between the votes, and they get really compressed when you get down yeah. uh, to, to you know to the bottom. Uh, so there's uh, I'm not sure there's any real distinction between the you know maybe uh, seven through ten, six through through ten, uh, but there's clear deltas. Uh, in voting between the first uh, four or five, that that happens in most of. So there's a, a clear delineation. Workforce is in a in a strong number number three uh, position, and people have asked me about. Well, you see consolidation and and uh, optimization. You know, kind of moving down in cloud. I think that's a reflection of uh, adoption and maturity. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still a lot of work to do in the cloud side, but right. you know, cloud was number two. Uh, consolidation and optimization was number one early on in the top 10 right? yeah. going back you know 15 yeah. years it was number one for several years mm-hmm. uh but mm-hmm. i think that's just a reflection of where the where the states are uh, where states are going i think that the message as i look at this you know the the message is really uh digital services and digital government uh, are continue to be very very important um because they've it, been number they've uh, been number that's been number two for three or four years for four years now right uh, four, yeah, fourth year in a row. Yeah. So, fourth year in a row. But you know, again, this is not, this is not new, uh, yeah. in terms of NASIO's discussion. I pointed out at our our, our uh, annual conference that uh, we did a session on enhancing the citizen experience. That uh, NASIO issued, you know, NASIO did a uh, a video that we released in two thousand and one on enhancing citizen, you know, citizen centric. And uh, we produced a guide for the states in 2001 that went along with that. Uh, it was called uh, Creating Citizen-Centric Digital Government. And that was in 2001. Yeah. So 20 plus years later, mm-hmm. we're still talking about that. But I think it, you know, tied to that is identity and access management. I think it's, it's critical that you have a strong digital identity a program, particularly for citizens, you know, yeah. citizen facing yeah. uh, that. So that's moved up. Well, um, and identity and access management was also the number one uh, uh, tech uh, tech application and tool, um, which I think right. is a, really I think is a shift from from from, from previous years. 
Well, and because you look, you look at the again, that's an opportunity for lots of growth and development. Because if you look at the data, uh, there are only two states that have an, an identity as a service model with with being meaning that you have an enterprise wide digital identity solution for all of the executive branch. So you look at that data. There's only you know two states now. M many of the states are in development, or they have. Um, point solutions or they're going to expand that but in terms of being able to say you can use this one uh identity mm -hmm. this digital identity to transact business with pick a number of uh, you know 25 or 50 different state agencies uh that's that's very valuable and, and it's consistent with the the seamless delivery and integration and not making it you know difficult for citizens where you've got kind of the company store model where you know every every agency has their own identity solution and that can be very challenging and vexing for for citizens that want to do business and i think the pandemic clearly you know outlined that that's a that's a problem so i think that that i think we're going to hopefully going to continue to see growth in that area um they've got to make investments you have to make investments around uh, uh integration uh, application integration you've got legacy applications that can be difficult to to integrate into that into that model because they already have a proprietary identity solution, and so it takes it takes it takes work and it takes you know, kind of architecting the right solution. But based on the states that have done it, it clearly can be done. Yeah. So like, moving back over to the the priority list, uh, workforce was a uh, I think was a kind of a, a big mover up this year, and I think yeah. um, that's again not a big surprise considering what was in the sur in, in the survey. Both the both the CIO survey as well as the CISO survey workforce uh, concerns were right at the top of both of those uh, reports. Um, is this are you is it I mean is this kind of you know confirm uh, everything that we talked about a couple months ago when the surveys came out? Uh, absolutely, and and I've had additional conversations with state CIOs along the way. I think it's the, um, the, the you know as as we put in the report in October, the single largest uh, challenge that uh, that the CIOs face uh, in currently and in the near future is uh, the workforce component. You know the the talent acquisition, the having the requisite. Um, skills and, and disciplines. I think that's the message here. When you look at across the board, weaving it into all, all these other top 10 items, I think that's one um, kind of along with architecture that is implicit in all of these top 10 issues. You can't do, you can't roll out an enterprise and robust identity and access management program without the, the skills to do that. The cybersecurity, right? That's a crisis area. With uh, with information security professionals for the for the states, I think that is a bigger challenge. You look at the questions on number two, digital services. We asked that specific question uh, in the in the state CIO survey. What's like what's the major challenge that that you face as CIO in meeting the demand for for modern digital services? And, and two thirds of the CIOs said workforce skills and capabilities. We don't have the the requisite uh, you know incumbent folks on board to be able to do that. And so they were not able to, to, to hire that. And, you know, it, it, it's not, I, I, I hate, I'd say it's not promising, but it doesn't, I'm not very optimistic in the short term. There's going to be like major structural changes mm -hmm. to the approach that states have mm -hmm. 
to get to get that talent because it doesn't it, it there's a mismatch between what the the candidates and the applicants want and what the states are willing to do and and, and number one of that is a flexible you know work environment a flexible work hours flexible workspace you know maybe they want to work remotely and again look at the data very few states are promoting that as an advantage you got to go to the marketplace and say well, you know we, we you can work you know remotely or you can work uh you know at different hours you can if you if you're an application developer you know we don't care if you're coding on friday night at 10 o'clock yeah well that's not true <laughs> they you know they they're still you know many states are still locked into that that eight to five yeah uh, mode and I think e even if it's remote work, it's still locked into that tr kind of traditional the mindset. There's a lot to get over. I'm not sure the states um, can 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 overcome that in the short term. I think long term they're going to have to face the fact. Otherwise, they'll be continuing to bring in more contractors and staff augmentation from the technical mm -hmm. side to uh, to do the work that's uh, that's necessary. And as you mentioned, the the, the CISO survey, the cybersecurity study, the same, you know, things like what are the top, the, the, the top challenges, and it was inadequate availability of, of cybersecurity professionals and, and inadequate staffing and the competency of the existing yeah. staff. And that's, you know, not a, a, a real, it's not, it's, it's not a negative on them to a degree, but they they stay two or three years and they get a lot of great experience and then they're out the door. Yeah, and I think one one thing that that also came up uh, pretty prominently in the CIO survey is that uh, it's also a matter of making the jobs appealing uh, and and not uh, and not so opaque from the outside. I think you know many, most states are still kind of stuck in the model of where the jobs are: systems analyst one and data analyst number you know three, and nobody's really sure what what that means and. Uh, is 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 having you know is having workforce so high up on the list uh, is that at least uh, reflective of of the of of that you know the fact that this is something that 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 needs to be addressed as well? Absolutely, yes. I, I mean, I think it's to the point where um, it has always been, and we we talked about this for for twenty plus years about the the focus on the human dimension of you 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 have to be to be successful the cio you have to have obviously a strong compliment i think now it's just become acute and part of that i think has to do in this in kind of the what i'll call the post-pandemic economy the competition for talent um and this compensation gap has gotten even wider so states are experiencing if you look at some of the data the states are experiencing uh you know, dramatically lower applicant pools. So there, there, there are some states are seeing 50% less candidates for jobs, even when they are, again, fairly, you know, uh, uh, essential positions and they, and they might have reasonable compensation. It's not going to be the same as the private sector, but you're going to appeal to their public sector, you know, regardedness, their desire to, to serve the public and desire to make a difference. So you can use that leverage, yeah. but that can only get you so far when there's a huge gap in compensation, uh, when you're not getting, you know, I enough candidates. And I think the other part of that is, uh, as you mentioned, it's, it, it doesn't, the states, there's, there's a general belief and a perception out there that um, you're not going to have challenging work, and that you know that's certainly not the case in a lot of situations. You're, you could be presented with really appealing and challenging work uh, at the state level, 
but you have to overcome the external external optics as you mentioned so that's a big that's a big issue and you, how do you do that when you know you you have um the challenge of the titles and i, I think the other thing ben that, that pointed out in in uh in in particularly in the cybersecurity study that has to be addressed is states have to streamline their hiring practices uh the time to hire is ridiculous quite frankly in some of these i talked to a cio the other day it said it took them nine months to backfill a director position nine months yeah that's now that's 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 just ridiculous you, you these people are getting hired in a week yeah. right there's the, the speed of that so i think these are kind of the they're, it, they, they haven't adjusted quickly enough to the realities of kind of the post-pandemic uh, uh, environment out there in, in hiring. And I think that uh, that's going to be a, a huge challenge if they can't get over it. If they're not permitting remote work or hybrid work, if they're not permitting, for example, a borderless hiring, you know, a yeah. lot of companies, are. Yeah. it doesn't make any difference where you live. You want to stay in Key West on the beach and you can come work for us. We're looking for outcomes. We're looking for results. And states, you know, many, many states are not operating. The majority of the states are not operating in, in that model where you're allowed to hire really good talent from another state. And I can see that, again, that's a major issue with uh, executives and high, particularly appointed elected officials, legislators. They don't want to hear that you've got a bunch of IT people working in another state. Right. So... Um, and I think you know we've we've seen some of that you know anecdotally there anecdotally there has been some 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 borderless hires and I, I think this is this is also something we've heard you know that I think we've seen anecdotally in the last few weeks but you know in terms of you know the, the talent pool uh, you know I think I've, we've seen some uh, you know some some city governments maybe some state governments say hey like you know recently you know recently laid off uh, tech industry workers uh, consider consider the public sector is that. That, that's probably more anecdotal, but do you, uh, at this point. But do you think there's any any case to be made that uh, you know maybe with with the the layoff the mass layoffs we've seen in the tech sector there there's a, there's an opportunity for uh, government uh, to you know uh, find 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 some uh, some talented individuals. Speculation, maybe, and like you said, anecdotal. I we haven't heard any any evidence of that, and I think. A lot of those people are probably going to wait to see if they can uh, land in a spot in the private sector, just because again, the the compensation differences with those companies, you know, they 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 have very uh, high salary ceilings, and I just I, I I'd be surprised. You might be able to recruit a small number of those people, yeah. but I'd be surprised to be able to backfill a large number yeah. with those fakes. I think they'll probably hold off. Um, to see what uh, where they can integrate back into the into the private sector, but there's certainly thousands of them thousands of them out there. Um, so we'll have to see how that goes out. But I haven't heard anybody making a targeted effort. Yeah, so so we're probably, we're probably so we're probably not going to be seeing a bunch of uh, former Twitter you know uh, suddenly uh, former Twitter engineers in in uh, in government. Maybe maybe in maybe in California, but they, they you know they. Yeah. That'd be <laughs> the cost of living. Yeah. Be, they may have the challenges out there. So, yeah. Uh, no, I, I think the states need to the states need to really a, a address this uh, in a, in a you know from a holistic standpoint of all the things they should be looking at. You know, because there's multiple kind of challenges around that. You mentioned the, the classifications and job titles. Yeah, they're not. They don't reflect 
what's in the marketplace. So they're not, they don't, they don't appear to be modern and they don't say what they mean when you have like information specialist one or information technologist one, information technologist two, that doesn't mean anything, you know, to folks out there. You've got to be a little more descriptive, but that's the states are kind of bound. Yeah. You know, bound by that. Uh, I think the states that are, uh, that have removed uh, for many cases, the, the, the uh, college degree requirements, that's something to look at. I think diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI initiatives, neurodiversity. We're hearing um, states that are looking at neurodiversity options for candidates working remotely. So I think there's a number of things that states can start looking at yeah. to be able to tap yeah. into you know, some of the talent out there. And uh, states have been successful, particularly in the technology side, uh, hiring people with a, with a two-year degree and then having them work towards certifications and getting more experience while they're working at the state. Uh, apprenticeships. I think states are going to be trying to fund apprenticeships for, for technology people. Yeah. So more than internships, yeah. but actually working. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's again, that's a, that's a challenge because of the, of the model. So we'll have to see how it all shakes out. You know, the clear future is, is what are the, that the talents you need with the changing operating model by that, I mean, you know, moving to, you know, what we've kind of phrased the CIO as broker, but it's really just like the new operating model. You need more people that understand more professionals that understand contracting and managing uh, external third party services and off premise activities. Cause that's really, you know, where the States are going is right. to use more of those capabilities. And so you're going to need different types of talent within the CIO organization to, to do that uh, long term. Right. So we've talked about workforce for uh, a lot, uh, but I think, you know, because, but it does, as you said, underpin everything else. Uh, so let's get back, you know, getting back to the, the rest of the list. Um, you know, are there, are there, uh, were there any other entries that, uh, you know, based on how they moved? Uh, uh, I don't think, I think the only, I think the only, uh, the, the only the only thing that appeared this year that wasn't there last year was customer relationship management, which I think swapped out for enterprise architecture. But um, that's just based on votes. Uh, what, the rest of the list, what does it say about uh, where you know where what what CIOs are 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 thinking? I think one thing I think if you look at the list, what's conspicuous by its absence is what was absent last year for the first time, which is budget and cost control. So I would say what's interesting is what's not on the list is budget and cost control, which uh, which was off the list in 2022 as well. So I think that reflects the current fiscal conditions of the states. You know, the states are are uh, for the most part. Uh, flush with with uh, record revenues. They've got record surplus and rainy day funds. They've had. They're still. They still have a, a, a significant amount of federal funds uh, that they haven't expended. Yeah. So I think you know that that is very interesting. Is that since the inception of the top ten, budget and cost control was always there. And in some cases, was very very high during the recession. That was a major thrust. We we see that off the list for the second year. So that'll be interesting to see. Does it come back after 2023? Is 2023 the, you know, they're going to go one more year uh, with this revenue situation. We're going to kind of see things go back to, uh, you know, the lower, the traditional spend rate, which has been, you know, in kind of the, the 5% increase every year for, for 30 something years. Is it going to, uh, you know, jumped up, to, I think, to 9%? 
So look at the the, the state budget data and, and kind of track that. So that's that one thing that's interesting to me is that's not on the list. Customer relationship management doesn't surprise me. It was uh, uh, off the list in 2022, but it was number 10 in 2021. It was number five in 2020. That's kind of a subset of the whole business relationship uh, you know, broader discipline of, of business relationship management, which is kind of essential to the future of the CIO operating model, which is that that broader construct. I think that just reflects, you know, the fact that the state CIOs understand the need to um, have stronger positive relationships with their customers, with their agency customers, since most of them are still in a chargeback and a chargeback model. Yeah. Uh, data and information management, I think, is going to be is is going to be uh, critical. Uh, it has been on the list for years. Um, I think you know the importance of of evidence based decision making and 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 uh, data sharing, uh, data analytics. Uh, data is is obviously critical to uh, to all of that. Uh, NASA has published a lot on that over the years of the importance of that. And I think more and more CIOs are seeing that uh, as they get more mature in some of these other architectural areas that the, the one big challenge they have in front of them is data architecture and what to do about the proliferation of all their data types and the, uh, the how they're going to integrate you know, all of that into better decision making for their, their organization and for the state. Yeah, That's a tough yeah. one. Doug Robinson, Executive Director of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. You can read more about him and see 2023's top priorities for state CIOs at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Illinois is rolling out the human capital management piece of the state's enterprise resource planning system. The project will wrap up next spring and is the latest in the state's efforts to modernize its ERP I sat down with state CIO Jennifer Ricker in Springfield. She tells me about how the project's going and how it fits into the state's broader modernization efforts. Um, Year-ish ago, that had been something underway for quite some time. We now have almost uh, the entirety of the state. I would say that project is is pretty well done. Um, But now the human capital management portion is is, uh, well underway and we're looking to launch um, the major portion um, the, the real guts of the of that system um, in late spring next year. So um, this will be really transformational for us, for as as a you know a state really, not just um, not just um, do it or the agencies um, that we're directly responsible for, but we're talking pretty much the entirety of the state workforce will utilize uh, the system. So when you, I mean, uh, Illinois has been working on an ERP project for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, even one chunk of that, right, that HCM piece, even that is its own giant undertaking. How do you how do you chunk down a project like that? Make <laughs> sure that it gets done and and sort yeah. of guide it from okay, we have to do this thing to we did this thing. Yeah, not not easy. Lots of planning, lots of uh, working with partners all over the place, right? Our um, state administrative agency, uh, which is uh, Central Management Services, they're the primary business owner here, right? They're the ones responsible for human resources for um, the executive branch. Um, but we also work with some of the other constitutional officers on this as well. We've got um, um, you know PM in place, all of those things, system integrators. 
Um, and unlike the, the finance uh, portion that we rolled out um, sort of in groups of agencies, this is more of a big bang, like the pieces of it. So we've broken it into modules. We did launch about a year ago sort of the smaller uh, front end, like recruiting aspect of it. So that ability to apply online, which is um, extremely new for the state, right? Finally getting into uh, even the 20th century, let alone the 21st. So, um, so that's a pretty big deal. And then this is sort of the the core portion that we're launching next year of of HR, which is actually understanding having all of the state employees within the system, understanding who. Um, who works here and what they do and what their agency is, giving them the ability to sort of self-serve for themselves as well and, and automating a process that has been still to this day very manual, very paper, um, not one single system or source of truth. So this is, this is pretty monumental for us. So you've been you've been in the CIO job about two years, yeah. a little over two years, mm -hmm. and before that you were a deputy. So you've been in mm -hmm. this space for for a, a while. Um, you know, what does this prog progress kind of look like for you in terms of what you've seen just in the time you've been in the chair, uh, and sort of how does that set you up for how you plan for the future? Yeah. Um, so not just with this project, I assume you mean, but generally, I mean, what we have been, I mean, what this does for us in particular, um, HCM and then the finance um, portion of ERP before, I mean, this now truly sets the state up as a whole um, to really be able to manage. So I think of what this gets you more from the um, you know, running the business, so to speak, than from the technical standpoint, although that's huge as well, modernizing um, the legacy applications into something more, much more modern, supportable, sustainable, all of those things. Um, you know, but longer term, I mean, in particular, the HCM portion, I mean, this is key for us now, as, you know, gets discussed so often, everyone's challenged with workforce issues, with recruiting, retention, all of those things. Finally, we have we will have a system you know, that gives us a great view into our employees, um, what their capabilities are, um, you know, demographic information, those things help us um, onboard folks easier, right? I mean, all of that with an eye, I would think, to user experience overall. So for, for me personally, for our agency, one of the things we're heavily focused on is that user experience or customer experience. And I think about it both from the agencies that we're serving, so those individuals, the state employees as our customers first and foremost, but also then you know their customers, which is the public as a whole. And so um, it's weird to think about like kind of a back office type system being uh, a, a huge part of that, but it really is. And so um, I think this ability to, to you know, streamline how we work and, and automate a lot of the processes in order to make hiring easier is uh, makes it that much more um, of a benefit for the state to be able to really go out and attract um, um, talent really and so, so you're, you're getting ready to roll out this piece of ERP at a time where you know workforce is kind of skyrocketing up the priority list for CIOs yeah. this is something we've been hearing about for years right we've been talking about the silver tsunami all the different words mm -hmm. that we've put on it but but it's kind of a weird different world now so I mean how does this fit into some of the other uh, areas where you're working on the workforce yeah um, it is it is weird um, I, I would say again this helps us I mean one that we're gonna be quicker um, faster I mean I tell you right now sometimes the process currently um, 
for government hiring in general. So not just tech, right? But just you know, for us, our challenges, but for the state um, as a whole, um, you know, it's very how you get a job with a state is very opaque a lot of times, right? It's not clear. Um, we've heard things like, um, you know, once I apply, I don't know what happens. There's like this black hole. So this, you know, with the recruiting module that's already been launched and the other pieces, the plan is, right, to become much more what people are used to with, with private sector um, and, and really where you can now follow and get you know, alerts back, feedback, you can sign up for alerts of, hey, I'm interested in jobs in this area or with this agency or those things. So, um, so that will help us in that respect. And I think really, again, give us kind of a, a better view into our workforce in order to understand um, and really track, you know, what are the skill levels of our folks? What might we need to do to um, provide additional training or upskilling or whatever those things may be? and where do we need to target. Um, I've talked about this before, you know, I've talked to some of the colleges and universities here and, and we're planning to do more of those type of discussions, but around how we can partner with them um, and part of how we can attract talent, right, is, um, you know, we need to make it a really easy process to actually figure out how to work with us instead of like, I mean, I, I'm just trying to imagine um, a young person a day confronted with the system that we have currently. I mean, I would probably give up if I were them. So, yeah. you know, tell me about how you're working with local government uh, at the city, the county mm -hmm. level, and, and sort of where do you see that going as you have all these other balls yeah. in the air? <laughs> yeah. So, couple couple main ways I would say that we're that that will advance, like our our work and you know collaboration with with county and local government primarily, as well as K-12, um, is really around security. Um, you know, we do manage the state's, um, you know, fiber backbone, the Illinois Century Network. So we already work with K-12 and colleges and universities and other anchor institutions in the state. So that's longstanding. We've, we've also, in the last, you know, few years, started to add additional some additional security protections in for them on the network that they might not get or be able to pay for with um, commercial providers. But um, at the same time, you know, we've in the last few years, uh, this administration has provided funding to help us get K-12 schools on the ICN for free. So they're so they're they can get you know that unlimited uh, you know broadband and and uh, at no charge. Um, you know, the other way is really our expansion and our, our rollout for from a cyber perspective with local government um, prior to some both two things right legislation we passed this year and obviously the the um, infrastructure cybersecurity grants that are that are coming that we just um, submitted our application for officially um, so we have been managing running uh, along with uh, State Board of Elections, a cyber navigator program. Um, that's been geared for the last several years just at the elections authorities. Um, it's been pretty successful. Um, we've worked really closely with them. Um, it, and so we passed legislation this past spring and the governor signed um, this legislation to give us the ability to really broaden that. So we've got you know, new authority to do that, um, some dedicated funding for that as well. And so we do intend to expand um, that Cyber Navigator program, hire some additional staff that will work closely with uh, local government. And and those navigators, uh, you know, as the name might imply, they're really, you know, they're advisors, they're consultants, they're there to help 
Um, we divide them into regions. Um, and, and so it's, it's been great. So we can, we can get a better understanding of what's going on and have contacts and relationships within those local governments for when they do need help. And at the same time, you know, we can help um, provide them with, with our advice and expertise. I mean, you know, as, as you may know then from talking to them, I mean, most of your local governments, other than the most, you know, the largest, um, you know, they, they don't have the, the luxury of the staff size that we do. Um, you know, we have a, a full dedicated um, security team, so uh, we're able to, you know, take that knowledge and expertise that we have and, and help them at, at their, uh, uh, right there for them as well. Um, and then our intention as well with the, with the cyber grant funding will be um, for those two programs to kind of mesh up um, and really what we're hoping with that funding since it's, you know, we don't know if this will go beyond the four years. You know, there's a there's a ramp up to the state contribution that's required with that funding as well. But um, we're hoping that those that will you know participate from the local government side will um, will do things like you know put endpoint detection or response tools, um, help kind of have a centralized view management monitoring response that they may not be able to do on their own. Um, a lot of, we're also anticipating a lot of um, information sharing, so sort of setting up our own ISAC, um, working with our, you know, with, with various players within the state on that. So um, really giving a more, you know, holistic uh, view and, and ability to assist. We, we've, we've covered a, a lot of ground, and I think most of it has been forward-looking, but we are mm -hmm. about to start a new year. Um, if I come and visit Springfield next November, <laughs> uh, what do you want to have told me that you got done? Oh, yeah. So for sure, the, the HCM, right, that we just talked about, um, at least we won't be done, but we'll have uh, the largest portion in place, and hopefully, you know, that's always, that's always um a little bit of a learning curve anytime you you know uh, implement a, a huge new system like that. So I hope by this time next year we're we're running smoothly. We've got great wins there and things to things to share. Um, we've also been um, in the midst of uh, website modernization as well, um, both from a from a content perspective. Um, you know, user look and feel, um, accessibility, like all of those improvements, including not just, um, you know, accessibility, also including language accessibility. So all of those things have been in the works. We've got um, a plan for the, the bulk of the websites that we manage here at Do It, um, I think by uh, first or second quarter next year, we'll be hopefully done there. Um, and, and so that should hopefully provide um, you know, much, a much better user experience uh, for folks as well um, when they interact with the state. Um, and then I would say as we continue to roll out, um, you know, our, our iLogin initiative, which is really that, you know, the intent to be that single user ID for, you know, one way into the state. So uh, our residents don't have to remember, you know, where do I go for this license, or which agency does X, Y, Z, or how do I get this help? But, but hopefully, you know, we'll we'll have that uh, more applications on that portal as well, so that, you know, you as a as a as a resident now will be able to to have your one login, your one ID, and and know that the the things that are available to you will be on sort of a dashboard. 
Jennifer Ricker, CIO for the state of Illinois. You can read more about the state's modernization efforts at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Arizona's Department of Environmental Quality is using a new portal to track compliance of underground storage tanks in the state. Compliance for the tanks, which could contain petroleum or other hazardous substances, are an essential part of maintaining the safety of the state's groundwater. The new portal streamlines regulatory reporting requirements for underground storage tank owners, making it easier and more efficient to interface with the state. Anna Vargas is the department's deputy director of the Waste Programs Division. She tells State Scoops Colin Wood about the portal. So the system that we use at ADEQ, it's called the MyDEQ. It's a digital portal that we have that makes it available to our customers to report permits and records and notifications, things that typically would have come to the agency in the past in paper. Now they have it available and they can actually upload the records and they can look at the records, see what they have, and it's no need for them to actually call anyone in the agency or request a record. It's available to them 24-7 and just makes it a lot easy for our customers to keep track of what's going on with their facilities. Right. And when this project started in August 2020, what was the challenge at that time that you were trying to solve? So the challenge that we were trying to solve is we have the underground storage tank programs. It's one of the programs of the agency. With this program, we oversee the underground tanks that store petroleum and other hazardous substances. And we manage this program. This program currently has about 5,700 tanks that we regulate, and it's Mm. for about 2,100 facilities in the state of Arizona. There's a lot of reporting that needs to be managed this program, compliance records. And what we were trying to do is trying to facilitate to our customers to make things easier. Part of this process with the MyDEQ is that uh, we we do what we call a voice of the customer. So about 2019, 2020, our customers had indicated, our USD customers are indicated that they wanted us to consider putting some of these uh, applications in the MyDEQ portal, and we heard our customers, and uh, we started working on this project in 2020, and we were able to complete the application by July of 2021, which is when we deployed it. Mm, right. Yeah, well, I definitely want to get into uh, the project in a little bit more detail, but I'm going to ask a question that maybe some of our audience members already know, but I don't. So uh, who is using these underground storage tanks? The underground storage tanks primarily, I think a lot of us go to the gas station, we have a vehicle, if it's gas, we go to the gas station and we put gas in our vehicles. The majority of the underground storage tanks that we we monitor are gas stations. Hmm. There are other facilities that contain other hazardous substances in these tanks, but the majority of the tanks that we manage are um, containing petroleum products like gasoline and diesel. Right. And it's really important that we oversee these because these tanks, if there is something that is not working with the tanks and um, there is something that could cause a problem, there could be a leak and that leak could then get into the soil and eventually into the groundwater. And that's what we're trying to prevent. We want to make sure that these tanks are managed appropriately, that the owners or operators of these tanks 
uh, do everything, all the maintenance and all the, the procedures that they need to do to make sure that they are operating properly. It's, it's sort of like um, when you have a vehicle and you, you have a car and you invest in a car, you want to make sure that that car is functioning properly so you do all the maintenance that is required. Right. You also maintain insurance for that vehicle, just in case if there is a an accident. The same thing with the USC, uh, the, the USCs. We want to make sure that our customers do all the maintenance that needs to be done, and that uh, they also maintain the financial responsibility, just in case there is uh, something happening and they need to be covered by the insurance policy if there's a leak. Right. Yes. Sounds very important. So um, can you run us through the project? What were some of the main challenges you faced? What did you discover as you went on digitizing these processes? There were several challenges. I would say that probably the, the biggest challenge had to do with capacity. When you have a project of this magnitude, you have to have people involved. In this case, we not only have the IT department, which is the one writing the code, right, for the application, but you have to have an investment also from the program. So I think the biggest challenge was bringing the right people from the program and investing them fully into that year that that application was being developed and knowing that their, their previous projects might be a little bit delayed in working with the managers of those programs so that that, uh, let's say, slack on, the, um, on their current projects could be picked up by somebody else. So it required a lot of uh, time management and working with the managers to make sure how important it is to work through this project, that there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that at the end of the time, we'll be able to have a product that is not only going to benefit and simplify things for the staff, but for the customer. So I think that was probably the biggest challenge that I, that I could see. The other challenge is a lot of communication. In a project of this level, there's got to be very clear, constant communication between the program and the programmers in IT. Uh, we both speak different languages. So it's important that it's very clear we have constant meetings and uh, we're able to communicate and escalate when something is not working and escalate it to the appropriate level so that it can get resolved. So those two things I think are the most uh, important challenges. And I would add also that in a project of this magnitude, the outreach that it needs to uh, that needs to happen with our customer, it's also really important. So at some point in the process, we involve our customers and they're actually part of the testing that we do. And we wanna make sure that we hear them out, that we consider their, uh, their, their feedback and that we have a very good communication plan so that when we sort of flip the switch and the application is now live, all of our customers have been informed and they know of the changes and the expectations. So I think those are probably the biggest challenges that we had in this project. Hmm. Um, what, were, what would you say the biggest benefits of this are now that the project is more or less complete? The benefits. I think the benefit has to do with several things. 
have to do with the customer being able to have access to their data at any point in time with having to request anyone to look, to look for that data. I think that's probably one of the biggest benefits that a, a project of this magnitude is. Um, I think the other benefit is that now that the customer does not need to go through anybody else to get their data, they're saving money. They don't need to have either someone from their company or perhaps a contractor to look through records in the agency. They're saving that time. Everything is clear in, in the portal and they have access to those records. And probably the other benefit is, I would say that environmental regulations are complex and some of our customers might have difficulty in understanding those uh, regulations through the portal, it makes it easier for the customer to comply with the regulations because we break them down in, in a way that makes it simple for them because the portal has been designed sort of following the model of a TurboTax-like application. It breaks down all these complex regulations into questions that the customer answers and through those questions then they enter the information they're asked the information that it's uh needed hmm. so i think that those are probably the biggest benefits that the customers get right so is it uh is it complete are there more features planned what is or, or maintenance what's what's next for this project so we deployed four applications in July of 2021. We have plans for more applications. We are currently working on a new application and uh, we foresee additional applications to come in the future. We are also working like any IT project. Sometimes we deploy and there's some things that either features that we realize we need, we call those enhancements. So we are making some enhancements to these applications currently to make the experience, the customer experience better for our customers and also for our internal staff. Anna Vargas, Deputy Director of Waste Programs for the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality. You can read more about digital portals like this one at statube.com and in links in today's show notes. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.